to talk to you today in the Brave series about being transformed. That's the principle. That's the big idea today. You and I being transformed to be more like Jesus. And we're going to learn from the life of Moses. Does anyone uh, know what a caterpillar ends up becoming? A butterfly. Now, this is a biological uh, example of what? Are you smarter than a fifth grader? What do we call that? We call it metamorphosis. We have three science majors out there, all right? Did you know that's a Bible word, metamorphosis? It's, it's in the Greek in the text that we're going to read today. This, it says transformed, and it's talking about you and I being transformed from where we came when we came to Jesus and where he wants to take us to look more like him. This metamorphosis is something that God intends for every believer. Now, unlike the butterfly, uh, you know, the caterpillar, they have no choice. It's going to happen, right? If they live, it's, it's going to come into being. God has willed it that way. But with you and I, if we're going to change and be transformed, we have to say yes to what he wants to do in our hearts. And all of us have something that he wants to change to be more like him. No matter where you are, no matter how much you know the Lord, he wants you to become still more like him because he's so rich and so amazing and so beautiful in his character. 2 Corinthians, here it is, as we're looking at the life of Moses. Even to this day, Moses is read. It's talking about his, uh, the, the, the things that God wrote through the Holy Spirit about him. A veil covers their hearts. This is a passage just before this. is talking about when the, the, the power of God was on Moses and his face was shining, literally shining more, uh, so that people could see the presence of God on him. Uh, it says in verse 16, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Here's what God's telling us through this passage. Moses had a special touch of the Holy Spirit on his life, but in the Old Testament, that wasn't true for everyone. Today, after Jesus has come, he died on a cross, the Holy Spirit has descended and comes into the hearts of every new believer, has the Holy Spirit in them. It wasn't true in the Old Testament. Only a few had a special touch of the Holy Spirit that would come down upon them for works that the Lord was calling them to. And so Moses had this presence of God, but verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. Now God's in all of us to be seen, and we are being transformed. That word transformed right there is the Greek metamorpho, and it's to transfigure, to change literally or figuratively into the likeness, into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God wants to morph us, to change us, to transform us, to be more like him. Let me pray. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, Lord, about what we need. God, I don't want to be, we don't want to be the people who hide places that we need to grow. So we ask that you would, uh, you would do your surgeries in our hearts, Lord. And take our wounds and heal us to be more like you. Transform us, Lord, into your image, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First point, as we think of the life of Moses today, and we're learning about being transformed, is we are transformed into his, we are to be transformed into his likeness. There's kind of this thought going on today that God loves everybody, which he does. Come as you are, which you should. God will forgive you, and he does. And then there's the thought today that's not quite right. Stay as you are, and it's okay. No, it's not okay. Here's why it's not okay for us to stay sinful. 
because you have people around you who need the expression of who God is in their lives. God wants to bless your life, and he wants to bless their life, and even more than that, he wants people to see what he looks like. He wants his children to look like him. He's loving. He's kind. He's good. He cares. And he comes into people's life to show himself, and he comes through us. So he needs us to say, because he wants goodness in our lives and those around us, he needs us to be willing to say, okay, I'm supposed to be transformed. I'm not supposed to stay the way I am. God loves you so much, he won't let you stay the way you are. You got to say yes, but if you'll, if you'll jump in, he will start to make you. It's true that you're new in that moment, but it's also true that he wants to transform you from that place to a new place that shows more of who he is. Let's see this in the life of Moses. You know the story of Moses. I won't tell it all, but he was put on a river by his mother uh, because they were going to kill all the babies in the land, and, and a princess found him and pulled him over, and she raised him in her home and brought his mother in to nurse him, to take care of him. And it was miraculous that it happened that way. So he's raised as a prince. And we don't hear much about the first 40 years of his life, but I promise you he was educated. Guys, he was probably ripped and working out because warriors were important in those days. He's a young, strong, smart, intelligent, and, 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 and powerful man politically in the land. And one day he learns that he's a Hebrew. I don't know when, the text doesn't say. So he realizes all those hundreds of thousands of slaves out there are his people. So he goes out to survey it, and he thinks, I want to help these people. And he gets angry in his heart when he sees one of the Egyptian uh, uh, people who are in charge. They're whipping and hurting these Hebrews, treating them terribly. And he rises up with his strength and his power. In anger, he kills the man. That's how he dealt with things in, his, in the first 40 years of his life. Next day, he's, he's out uh, on the same spot. He sees two Hebrews arguing. And he says to them, um, hey, guys, this isn't good for you to do. Stop. And they turn to him, and one of them says, hey, we saw you kill the Egyptian yesterday. Are you going to kill us too? So here we find Moses has pretty good intent. He wants to help his people. But he has completely wrong character. He gets angry, and he kills someone. So getting angry as a leader is never the way uh, to, to the, this unrighteous anger to bring about the righteous things of God. Uh, the, the anger does not achieve the righteousness of God, the Bible says, the anger of man. And, and so they, they're not only saying you did wrong and that's a bad example, they're saying we're afraid of you. Are you going to kill us too? So yeah, we can intimidate, we can bring fear, we can try things that way, but that's not God's way. That was the first 40 years. Moses flees, he's put out. Now we see the second 40 years of his life. What happens to him? He's, he becomes a shepherd and a Midian, in the, in, in Midian and a Midianite. And, and he's out there leading sheep for 40 years. You know, if, you, if, if you're a shepherd, you learn patience with sheep. But not only that, we hear about this man named Jethro. Jethro's his father-in-law. Jethro's saying some good things to him along the way and helping him and mentoring him. You can see that happening there. I just want to say to those of us who are young, one of the flaws, uh, I call myself young, unbelievable. That's the way I feel. It's, it's not the way I look. Um, but it's the way I feel. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's what the Bible says. I'm, I'm 35. I'm 35. <clears throat> that sounds old to some of you. That's how old I am. But, but so, so here he is now. He's got a mentor. And so, <clears throat> so to those of you who are younger, you know, the, the Bible says the gray hair is a crown. <clears throat> and it's a crown of wisdom. And I want to say to you that it would be wise for you to have someone who's older, who's walked the walk and talked the talk and loved and lived for Jesus 
that, that you walk with and learn from. They've been down the road. Experience is a great teacher. And those who've been faithful, we need to learn from them. And, and we, it's, it's like we discriminate against age even in the church these days, as if they wouldn't know anything when the truth is they know more than all of us. Find somebody who's loved Jesus well and loves you and, and, and ask them that they'll walk with you and teach you and help you. That was happening with Moses. Then we see after he's 80 and he's coming into the second 40 years, the difference that after he's been mentored and been in the desert with the sheep, now he comes before the burning bush. He gets the call from God, and here's what he says to God. I don't think I can do it. I'm not sure. He takes off his shoes. He's on holy ground. If you don't go, I don't want to go. Uh, and and he's, there's a humility in him that we didn't see before. He was being transformed as he became more and more like God. Look what happened to him. You talk about an amazing transformation Numbers 12, 3, now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on the earth. Wow, incredibly, he was growing at an amazing pace. Romans 8, 29 speaks to us as well. God wants to transform your life. He wants to transform my life. He doesn't want to leave us where we are. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to his likeness. So you've come to Jesus, you know him as your Savior, but he says, I want you to be conformed to my likeness, the likeness of his son. And that's Jesus Christ who came to this earth who show us, to show us who the father is, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I'm gonna tell some stories that are very vulnerable about my life and my dad's life today. I want you to know as I speak that my dad and I have talked through this. I have his permission. We've prayed together so, so he's allowing me to share about his life today in this way. But as I think about transformation, I look at my dad's life. And my dad had it rough in his early years. He remembers as a child his mother trying to give him away twice. That'll do something to your head. Saying to another family, would you like Raymond? Yeah, we'd like him. Raymond, would you like to go? No, Mom, I want to stay with you. He didn't get it. But she tried to give him away twice. She was a very angry woman, my grandmother. We, we love her, but she was a very angry woman. She's passed away now. And she would beat him with boards and um, other things, locked him in a shed to punish him for days where he would have to use the restroom there and couldn't come out. These are things that, that are tough to overcome in life. My dad had a tough time believing in the Jesus that my, mother's, that my grandmother said that she loved. You know, if we live that way, you, we can't see Jesus there, and the people who are watching will say, that's not the God I want to serve, you know, if that's, what he, if that's what he looks like. And that's part of the issue that we're talking about today. My dad's father, my, my grandfather, was a circuit-riding preacher who was never home, gone all the time, back periodically, just for a little bit. My dad's dad, my grandfather, died when my dad was 14, and my dad loved him and felt some love from him, but he wasn't around much. But when his dad died, he'd made a promise, I'll stay home, dad, until you're gone, and his dad was sick. And at 14, when my, when my grandfather died, my dad ran away from home, never returned. Lived on his own, went to work on ranches in Texas, and as you can imagine, he was an embittered young man who became a fighter angry. From 16, at the age of 16, he was working at a 
gas station, and as he had lifted up uh, an engine hood, the engine exploded in his face, and he caught fire and uh, ran, and someone put it out. Dad, how much of your body was burned? About a third of his body, his face, his chest, burned with third-degree burns. And so now we have this embittered man who's young man laying in the hospital, uh, almost dead, wanting to die, thought about taking his life. And uh, he had it rough. He had it rough growing up. Uh, my dad knows the Lord now. It's remarkable to me that he was able to overcome and love us the way he has after going through all that. Only Jesus, only Jesus. From the time to 16... 16 years of old to 27 were really uh, bad years for dad. Uh, a wild young man all, in trouble uh, on a regular basis. But at 27, he came to Jesus Christ, and Jesus changed his life. He did it on his own. He wanted God. God has no grandkids. He came to Jesus, and shortly after, he met my mother. And things started getting better from there. As a matter of fact, they grew so quickly in the Lord that they were made the volunteer youth pastors at their church within a couple of years. And then dad had this difference of opinion with the pastor that he thought was, was uh, maybe going a little bit different direction. They talked, he stepped down for just a couple weeks, and during that two weeks, there, uh, right at the end of that two-week period, <clears throat> there was a fire in their home, and their firstborn 22-year-old son, Eric Ray, died in that fire. And, uh, uh, you know, life just seems to be getting tougher and harder. And um, my, my dad and mother, to make things even worse, had their pastor come over and say, you know, if you hadn't had that difference with me and if you'd have come to church, God, God wouldn't have taken your child the way that he did. So, uh, that, boy, that'll, that'll really mess you up. And again, dad moves to a place, mom moves to a place. If that's who God is, then I don't want to serve him, right? Because that doesn't sound like a very loving God, does it? Well, uh, the truth is that is not who God is. God did not take their child, and, um, but they, they backslid. They, they moved away from a relationship with God. I'm born a, at a time when they don't, they're not going to church, they're not following God. I don't know anything about Jesus in the first eight years of my life. I know a little bit when I go to Grandma's house, but Grandma's still angry, I'll tell you that. And so, so I'm not sure I want that either, right? And and, and uh, Grandma had her own pain. You know, that's another story, but she had her own pain. And, and Jesus, you know, we can make a decision to stay there and say we have no choice, or we can make a decision to change because we don't want it for our generation. And, and God will help us if we make that decision to change. And um, so, so, so Dad's in this, this place, and, and we're growing up in this home. We don't know the Lord. And, 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 and I'm telling you, I grew up in the first eight years of my life, my dad had a problem with anger. He loved us. He did a lot of things well, but he had a problem with anger. And, and it was, we, we could see it. And, and then something happened. At eight years old, a neighbor invites me to go to church. My brother and I, we go together, and uh, we, we find Jesus at eight and ten at a Royal Ranger group on a Wednesday night in Aptos, California. And, 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 and so we come into this home not even knowing that they've known the Lord, and just say, hey, something happened. You ever heard about Jesus? You know, he's amazing. And, you know, and I remember my brother saying to my mom, Mom, I just found out tonight that if you don't know Jesus, you're going to hell. Well, I'm going to heaven. I want you to go with me. You need to know Jesus. Well, shortly after she did, those people at that church loved us so well. They came and picked us up as 
children and took us to church on Sunday and Wednesday. There was somebody there. That pastor was loving us so well that mom came and got saved. My sisters came and found Jesus. And my dad, still simmering and wondering, watched them love us for six months or so. And then he saw something. He decided that's what Jesus really looks like. So he calls Pastor Bishop and says, uh, I need you to come to my house and lead me to the Lord. I'm telling you, that's cherry picking for a pastor right there to say, oh, well, sure, I'll be right there, you know. It's usually harder than this. But there, there'd been some stuff going on that they'd, that they'd been watching for so long. And, and my dad gave his heart to Jesus. Now, this is the first time I have seen my dad serving Jesus Christ. And there was a radical change in his life. He, uh, he, we, we could see that he started becoming more <clears throat> and more like Jesus every day. And slowly we were seeing our dad transform before our eyes. 2 Corinthians 5.17 shows what happened to him that day. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. And he was growing in Jesus more and more every day. Second thought for us, as we look at Moses, and we're kind of paralleling with dad and my life a little bit here in a moment, but it's an ever-increasing, ongoing transformation. For you and for me, we're supposed to keep growing. If you think you've arrived, you have, because you'll never grow beyond that point. What is legalism? How does that show itself in a church? It's probably a person who thinks that they don't sin, that they don't have the problems that everybody else has, that, that, that uh, they can't tolerate anybody not being perfect, and they look down their nose at you. That would be a pharisaical attitude because the truth is all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. The truth is it's the grace of God that covers all our life. We don't want to be Pharisees here, do we? We don't want to have that, that heart. We are people who understand that we are still in process, that we are still growing. Where I, I'm really trying to get closer to Jesus every day, but it's probably true that there are people here who know and love Jesus more than I do today. More spiritual than I am. And, and, and uh, you know, I study to show myself, to approve. I'm, I'm working hard at it to, to bless you, to, to, to bless others. But the truth is there's so many wonderful men and women of God who've been with Jesus for so long that they've just come, become more and more and more like him. And that's wonderful to see, isn't it? And we started seeing that transformation in my dad, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we, who with unveiled faces reflect uh, the Lord's glory, here it is again, are being transformed. That's the scripture we read earlier, into his likeness and that ever-increasing glory. We never arrive. Even for Moses, let's look at his life. The most humble man on the face of the earth. The one who wrote the Pentateuch, the, the, Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. As the Holy Spirit uh, gave him inspiration, it was penned and put on, on paper, the, the, the love letter of God, the story of God's children. The one who was considered perhaps the greatest leader that Israel's ever known beyond Jesus Christ. A great, great prophet, a great man of God. Look at his life. We can see he wasn't perfect. Do you remember when he comes down from the mountain, he's received the Ten Commandments. They're written on tablets of stone. He comes down, he sees the people sinning greatly. And here's what the Bible says. In anger, he got mad and threw the tablets and broke them. I'm just guessing God liked the original set. But God made another set for him. But we see that 
in anger, he, he threw a tantrum there. So that's not quite right, even though this is a great man of God. Even great men and women of God aren't perfect. They don't have it right. We have this thing in churches, and um, you know, I grew up in an atmosphere where, where pastors were put on a pedestal and had to pretend like they had no flaws whatsoever. And that's a lot of pressure. Because you know deep in your heart that you're not perfect, that you're becoming too, that you're being transformed, that you have a call. And it's humbling to have a call when you know you're still in process yourself. But you do your best to answer that call, to deliver the word without fear or favor, and you have this heart to grow. But you know, just like Moses, you don't have it completely altogether everywhere where you're perfect. Not only that, we see Moses in the desert, and the children of Israel are grumbling at, at Meribah. And God says, I'm going to show them that I'm here to provide, that I'm in charge, and that I'm with you, Moses. Speak to the rock and tell it to bring forth water, because they didn't have water and they were complaining. So Moses gets mad again. He gets angry. And he must have been yelling out so they could hear him. And, he, and instead of speaking to the rock, he hit it hard twice because he was angry. Here he's got something showing up again. And, and, and you know, this, this great man of God. And, 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 God says to him, you know what, Moses, I'm a, little bit, I'm, a, I'm a little bit taken back on this one. Because you did that, you're not going to enter the promised land. And so he, was, he died on a mountain. He was able to see the, the promised land, but he was not able to enter it. Even Moses was ongoing and still becoming as great a man of God as he was. Pastor Ray I say Pastor Ray, that's my dad because he was a pastor for so many years. His life, he grew in Jesus, he got better and better. But here's what we saw right away. He went to church on a regular basis. He quit drinking. He quit gambling. He quit cursing. That, those things were immediate. One of the reasons I believe in Jesus Christ so strongly as I do today is because I saw Jesus transform my father. I saw my dad start to change in incredible ways. The anger problem, however, it was getting better, but it wasn't gone. It wasn't gone in my childhood as I grew with him. It was just getting better and better all the time. He came to the Lord, but he had a ways to go, as, and the Lord was still working on him with some things. Colossians 3.5 says, so put all evil things out of your life. Now, here's speaking of growth and transformation. Sexual sinning, because, you know, we can pick a category, but it's all these things. Doing evil, letting evil thoughts control you. Evil thoughts might be you're worthless. Evil thoughts would be take your life. That's, that's not even your own voice. You, you've got a, God's put in you a, a sense of self-preservation. That voice comes from the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Evil thoughts hurt someone, wound someone. In your past, your evil life, it says these things make God angry, and God's angry without sinning. Verse 7, in your past evil, evil life, you also did these things, but now also put these things out of your life. Anger, bad temper, doing or saying things to hurt others. You know, you can say words that hurt others very softly. So it's not just your tone, it's, it's your intent. And using evil words when you talk, do not lie to each other. You've left your old sinful life and the things you did before. You see the growth that God wants in us? You have begun to live the new life in which you are being made new and becoming like the one who made you. This new life brings you the true knowledge of God. So little by little, we see my dad getting better. Then I'm gone, but he wasn't completely out of it even when I'm gone. 
And then through these many years, he just continues to grow. He becomes a pastor. The Lord is using him. And at 15 years old, my son Aaron, this is about a decade ago, we're driving along, and out of the blue, he says, Dad, you know something I just realized? I've never seen Grandpa Ray angry or mad in my whole life. First thought was, really? <laughs> Let me tell you a couple stories, you know, but, but I, I, I didn't say that. I said, son, isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Because I knew that he'd been on this journey. The one thing I can say about my dad is all along the way, he's been growing. I've never seen a man who's grown from day one and continues to grow like my dad. He is in it to win it. He is in it and, and saying, God, change me. Make me more like you. I remember uh, last year he called me at 86 years old and he's weeping. That's not usually what happens. He's in Missouri. That's enough to make you cry. But it wasn't, it wasn't about that. He's here now. They're, they're here living with us now. We're, we're so glad to have them. And, and he's crying, and he said, Son, I have to confess something to you. I was in prayer, and the Lord's dealing with my heart. And I mean, he's just weeping uncontrollably. And I think, oh, no. What has he done? And all these bad thoughts are coming up in my mind, and he can't get out. He's crying so hard. And finally, he says, I... The Lord has shown me that I'm holding some, something against someone from years ago, and I need to let it go. So I want my prayers to be answered. I thought, wow. I felt like saying, I'm just glad you didn't commit adultery, Dad. You know? but, but he said, would you, would you pray for me? And I prayed with, my dad's 86 and still growing. And it's awesome. It's been amazing to see. And here's the third thought. We can yield to this transformation process with confidence. God's not out to get you. He loves you. He's not out to expose how bad you are. He's out to bless you. He wants to make it good for you and your family. He wants to help you overcome your past. Now, here's a, here's a thought. Perhaps you've been in a situation where you grew up in a home that was very angry and you've picked up some of those things. And the truth was, I'm going to talk about it in a moment, I picked up some of these things in my life growing up in that home, even after Dad found Jesus. And perhaps you grew up in a home where you saw, you know, we, we need to make a decision. Are, 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 are we, do we believe God's big enough to heal us? Do we need the people who've hurt us to say they're sorry before we can be, be okay? Well, if you do, I have a question for you. What if they never say they're sorry? Then you could never be okay. But God's bigger than that. They don't have to do the right thing for you to be healed. It'd be great if they do, but they don't have to. God's big enough where he can heal your heart. He can take these things out of you. He can bless your life and move you on where there's no bitterness and you don't want bitterness because bitterness defiles many and it will defile your kids too. So we have to say, okay, God, you're big enough, and we can yield with confidence because he doesn't want to hurt us, expose us, or condemn us. He wants to take us from where we are to where we need to be to bless and build others and to build his kingdom. Romans 12, 2 says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. One of the things we have to do, whatever the sin is, is we have to, we have to acknowledge and call it bad in our lives. I'm slipping here, I'm falling, it's, it's my decision, we're all responsible for our own sin, we can't blame it on anybody else. God, it's bad, and help me, and that's, starting, that's the start of the change of the way we think. 
because we can justify it and say, well, no, the kids need more discipline or da-da-da-da-da or a firm hand, and we can do all that, uh, but, but it's not going to help. So what we do is we say, okay, God, by your Holy Spirit, help me to overcome my past. I'm in it, and I want you to change and transform me. I yield. Then we'll learn, it says, to know God's will for, for, our, for us, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So here's why God wants to get it out of your lives. So it'll be good for you, and your life will be pleasing, and things can be perfect. Not trying to hurt you. Not trying to expose you. Trying to make it better for you, for your children, for your coworkers, for those around you. This is why we need to let down our guard and admit our weaknesses and grow. His will is good and pleasing and perfect. It's commonly taught that Moses wore a veil over his face when the when the light of God was on his face because he was humble. But we look at a passage in 2 Corinthians 3.13 and we find out that wasn't really the reason. Look what it says. And not as Moses did who put a veil over his face so that the Israelis could not see the glory fade away. He wasn't hiding the light, he was hiding the fade. He, he was hiding that it wasn't quite as bright as it once used to be. And we need to resist the temptation in our lives to hide these things because the enemy works in the secret place. When, when things are revealed towards God and we're, and we're vulnerable and we're asking and confessing and we're praying, good things happen. I want to be vulnerable with you today. I told you that some of these things... Uh, were in my heart and in my life as a young man when I left the home headed towards college. And sometimes I still see them in my life. You know, the place that is a place of greatest temptation will probably always be the place of greatest temptation for you. We all have that big weakness, whatever, whatever it may be, and we need to guard it and be careful. Moses saw his showing up from time to time, but he was winning that battle overall because God was using him. I, a couple months ago, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I, but I feel the Lord wants me to today. I'm driving down the highway, coming back from a, a what, what's called a presbyter's meeting with the Assemblies of God. I sit on this board and I'm driving back from Salem and out of nowhere, there's cars everywhere, there's no place to move. This young guy comes with this sports, souped up sports car, zooms right up to me and cuts me off where I have to hit my brakes hard. And it made me mad. I got angry, and I, we have this old Cadillac, but it has power. I hit that thing, zoomed up beside him, was going to pass him, but he, he sped up, and he couldn't pass, and we're jockeying back and forth. You know, it looks like fast and furious on the highway with, of all people, Pastor Stan. You know, this, this, this isn't right. And finally, I got by him, and I cut him off, and I drove for a while, and then I pulled over, and he goes by, you know, and I think he had a little wave or salute for me when he went by. And about 30 seconds later, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Where did that come from? And I said, Lord, for, forgive me. I don't ever want to do that again. I don't think I'd done anything like that on the road in 20 years. Where did that come from? So I went home and I told Karen, uh, you wouldn't believe what happened. And I told her a bit of it. I hated to tell her all of it. She's hearing more of it today than she did then. <laughs> She's like, what are you thinking? I wasn't thinking, you know. And so, but I said, would you pray with me? So she prayed. And then I felt that the Lord saying today, I want you to tell them too. 
Because you know what? I don't want to live that way in my life. And the truth is, the sins of the Father did visit me. The truth is, my dad got better, but, but he, he, he moved to a better place. And then, and then by, when I moved out, he just kept getting better. And eventually, I think he, he predominantly has won this battle. But when I was a teenager, his, his, you know, fight and show that you're dominant and, and get your will by making others submit, because that's what fighting is, right? I'm, I'm going to physically subdue you, which isn't God's will. My dad actually had this philosophy. He was moving closer to Jesus, but didn't quite get it. The Bible, he says, the Bible says, turn the other cheek, but he didn't say to turn it twice, so if they hit you twice, you bust them. That's, that was what my dad was saying. And that's like John Wayne ethic, you know? We, we, do, do you guys know who John Wayne is? Some of, about half of you do. Um, Chuck Norris, whatever, who, whoever your guy is, you know? Physical dominance, right? And, and so he's getting closer, but that's not quite it. And so here's what he taught us, because he wasn't allowed to fight when he was young, and he was beat up continually. And then he ended up being a fighter when he got away from home, and, and, and he became a boxer and a good one. So he raises us up, teaches us how to box, teaches us to fight, you know, when someone makes us feel that, that, that uh, we're not as good as they are, or tries to force their will on us. He meant well, but that, was, that wasn't it. That's, we're not on it yet. And so I grew up, honest to goodness, I had probably 100 or more fights before I was 18 years old. I saw simple difference of opinion as conflict and confrontation. I, I didn't know what health, I didn't get healthy. And, and so, so, so often I was just in conflict that didn't need to happen. Then God saved dad and you know we saw him move from the John Wayne ethic then I'm gone and then we just see him grow and become and meanwhile I've still got some of this stuff in me and for those of you who are fighters and MMA guys I can't fight I don't want to fight I'm not saying I'm tough I'm just saying this truly happened in my life there's a better way I grew up angry and <clears throat> fought continually and then at 19 I became a prodigal and first went to college and then came back to Jesus. I'm sorry, I became a prodigal going to college. I was 17 when I started college. And at 19, I decided to really submit my life to Jesus Christ. And I was instantly touched by God and changed and better. But I too have had to be transformed over time when it comes to this thing. I married Karen and she's awesome and a wonderful person of God. And she, she was helping me with it and still helps me with it. And over time, I came to see that, that I had anger that had to be dealt with. And, and, I, and I felt like I dealt with it. I felt like I had it and felt like I had good, good years where I'm getting better. And then all of a sudden, just recently, the last year and a half, the Lord's put his finger on something in my life again. Because I morphed it. It wasn't quite to the John Wayne thing. But I, the, the Lord revealed to me that all the insecurity, I grew up and went to 36 schools before I graduated from college. So I never felt accepted, and that was part of the acceptance that I was fighting for and valid, validation. This insecurity was in me, and I, and I wanted to, as my dad had wanted to, show people that, that, that he, he, he mattered too, and he counted. And so we, we just weren't thinking right, and all, all this happened, and the Lord showed me that because of that insecurity, this is recently, it's a confession of sorts today. The Lord showed me that I had morphed that outward anger 
to another place that was still bad. And I'm just going to call it the need to be right. So maybe I'm not outwardly, you know, giving people the business. But this insecurity puts me in a place where I need to be right to validate myself. And again, you see things as conflict that aren't at times when, when that's not right in you. Perhaps some of you can relate to what I'm saying today. All the moving, all, all the insecurity, all the fighting, and, and this had snuck up on me. God has been revealing to me that too often I've tried to prove my importance and that's not the way he is. And I want to tell you, I don't want to do anything to hinder blessing my wife. I don't want to do anything to hinder blessing my children. I don't want to hinder the ministry of the work of God here. I want to be a blessing to you. So what do I do when God puts his finger on something? I'm going to tell you, the danger of the need to be right when you're in authority is you can be right. You can do what you want to do. So God's saying, hey, I want, I want humility in all these situations. I, I have great men and women of God that, that, that are called alongside to help. Let's, let's go together. And so I've been learning the last couple years and becoming, and I, and I want to be transformed to be even more and more like Jesus. The key, one of the keys to overcoming and being transformed is confession and repentance. And here we see it in the Bible, James 5, 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Someone has said you confess to God for forgiveness, but you confess to people to be healed. You confess and you pray, that passage said, and healing comes. So this secret thing, did you know gangrene, that's an infection that, that when it gets in a wound will kill you if it's not dealt with? But one of the treatments, it actually has, uh, the medical name is hyperbaric oxygen therapy. To get rid of the gangrene, you don't sew it up and give them antibiotics. This treatment is to open it up and expose it to the air, and when it's exposed, it's taken care of, and gangrene goes away. And it's much like what's spoken of here in, in, in James 5.16, that, that we're not hiding it. We're opening it up. We're asking people to pray, and then we see God healing us. The enemy works in secrets. And when we get these things out in the open and ask for prayer and support, we get healed. This is big for all of us in our lives with personal relationships, someone you can trust. In our small groups, another level of, of, of openness to one another for the purpose of healing. When you trust one another, you can come to the place of asking for help, prayer. So to conclude this morning, I want to say, what, what is it that you need to give to God and let him transform? 